This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. So tonight we're doing a special, a special message. I'm doing our worldview prophecy update night. <laughs> and it's update down under. Um, so yeah, we're gonna do that. Look at the the world scene right now. Everything that's going on. Look at scripture prophecy and scripture. And I have to warn you. I really didn't want to have to say this, but I feel like I should. I feel like it's part of the package with me. I feel like it's who I am, and I can't act like it's not. So I was born in 1981, okay? (gasps) And my entire life, I'll try not to be too emphatic, but my entire life, my entire existence has been people predicting the end of the world, And I'm so sick and tired of it. And I believe 100% that there is zero room whatsoever for fear-mongering inside the church. Zero. There should be no fear-mongering inside the church. What we are to do is to preach love, hope, the coming of Jesus Christ, and the good news. There's no bad news. And I'm tired of, you know, the 80s and the 90s. I lived through the 90s as a teenager with everybody talking about how the world is going to come to an end in 2000. My wife spent majority part of her 16th year putting um, grain into five-gallon buckets to get ready for the collapse. Because with all due respect, I love you. Is that, is that okay? Because they, her, her family bought into this thing. that every, And it just, it just blows my mind. Listen, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God loves the world? Do you know there's going to come a point in history where he's going to have to bend them over his knee and give them a spanking? It's going to happen for sure. But if we're not about the good news... If we're all about talking about the negative things that are happening in the news all the time and how it ties to the Bible, man, we're just going to be really depressed all the time. I don't want to live like that. So with all due respect, there's other guys out there that that's their their modem operandi. I get it. Like there's a level of guilt that you can use against people to get them to repent. But that's not how I came to know Jesus. I came to know Jesus as, as uh, uh, the son of God who loved me, loved me and pursued me with his love so much that he went to a cross and died for the penalty of my sins. It wasn't fear-mongering. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't the negative side of emotion. It was passion. So that's how I want to start because I don't think like we look at the news and we see bad things happening. Yeah, people talk about how dark the world is. Yeah, I get it. But like we have to be the light of the world still. We have to be the light. We have to talk about things from a positive perspective. I'm not talking about Oprah Winfrey in it. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying we need to give a biblical perspective that's solid, looking forward to the future and not publishing or writing another book or doing another sermon every time technology advances to put a chip in your right hand or your forehead. Every single, oh, they've been doing that for decades. You guys know that? They've had the technology forever. I just heard a story of a guy that was at like a CVS and, and the lady, you know how like the workers like at CVS and other stores, like how they have to scan certain barcodes, like they have a book that they open and they scan certain barcodes. Well, there's this one item that this scans so much. He says that the lady took the barcode out of the book and put it on her right hand and taped it there. So she just had to scan her hand and it was like the mark of the beast. I'm like, put it on your wrist then or something. I don't know. Yes, things are going to get bad. It's going to be difficult. You go into the world and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that God loves you so much that his son went to the cross on your behalf. Amen? Amen. If anybody needs a Bible, you can raise your hand. We get a Bible to you. If not, okay, let's pray. Father, we trust you. We know that as we take steps of faith, as we are on this journey, that you not only encourage us in that journey, God, but that you're with us every step of the way, through every storm, through every trial, through every, every deal that we have to go through. God, you're with us. And just like we talked about this morning, you want us to be part of the process, no matter how difficult things might get sometimes. So Lord, looking at the world and prophecy, the end of another year going into a new year, we pray that you give us perspective. Also, like we talked about this morning, you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that we would be understanding, that we would ask questions, and we would seek you most first and foremost, God. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I apologize for yelling at you guys at the beginning, especially if you're new. Um, you know I can do that sometimes. But I, I, I just have heard some people say some things and I'm just like, uh, you know, like we're about, we're, we're hope dealers, right? As my friend Ben Corson says, we're hope dealers. Hope, because hope is dope. All right, so what we're going to look at, uh, first of all, let's bring you up to date. There's a lot of stuff happening on the world scene right now. If you're disconnected from news or or you're not sure where to look, uh, maybe you stumbled across it. If you remember, President Trump recently moved the embassy to Jerusalem. People were were in an uproar over this, and there was many people who were who were upset. Interesting thing was we went to Jerusalem a couple months after that, few months after that happened, and I was talking to our Israeli tour guide and some other Israelis while we were there about that, and they were ecstatic, obviously. They were very excited, but because President Trump did that, he opened the door for, I, I don't remember the number now, but a handful of other countries that did it as well because they're kind of scared to make that kind of a statement. But then once the U.S. did it, the door was open, and I think it was like 10 other countries did it as well, which is interesting. The focus is being placed back on Jerusalem, which we see a lot of the end times biblical prophecy focuses specifically on Jerusalem, nation of Israel as a whole, but Jerusalem. And many people believe that that 
President Trump's support of Israel and support of uh, Jerusalem in particular is going to be a catalyst of, of the, the start of things going in that direction where the world is going to have some pushback because of our position in supporting the nation of Israel. The end of September, President Trump said he will release a peace plan within four months. If you guys are aware of the, the Trump peace plan that he's getting ready to release, this peace plan will bring supposedly unity in the Middle East and either cause there to be a one-state existence, Israel, or a two-state existence, officially, Israel and Palestine, or however they want to call it. Trump is leaning more towards a two-state, which um, I think Benjamin Net Netanyahu is also um, okay with, but he can't say that publicly because he'll get in really hot water. And we just found out that there's going to be, uh, I forget the, the, the technical term, but flash elections. There's going to be elections in Israel that are moved up because of the state of their government right now. So they're in the process right now of doing the elections, and there's a possibility that he could get voted out. So now... Um, President, people are speculating that President Trump isn't going to release the peace plan like he said he was going to do because he doesn't want it to influence the elections. I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but President Trump pretty much does what he wants to do. <laughs> so whatever election there is, whatever's happening, uh, um, whether you're political or not, the, the fact is he's the president right now and these are the things that are happening and unfolding some of these biblical prophecies that we're going to look at and open up to and see what is happening. The next thing, big bombshell, I think it was just this past week, right? I forget the date, but surprising, surprise announcement by Trump that we are pulling our troops out of Syria. This is pretty huge because, uh, I don't know if, if you guys remember back, but Syria uh, inhabited the Golan Heights area. And if you said that to me six months ago, I would think the same thing I've always thought when I hear anybody talk about things in Israel. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I don't know what the Golan Heights is. I don't know. You know, I, I, I literally, I picture like a desert with like a few little mounds or something. You know, there's the Golan Heights. You know, they're, they're 10 feet tall because everybody knows Israel's in a desert and nothing happens over there except for deserty things. But Israel's not like that. It's very mountainous. It's gorgeous. It's green. And the Golan Heights are these huge mountains that go into Syria. And the Syrians occupied the Golan Heights up to the edge, looking down into the valley that was Israel. And since that's where they were, our tour guide took us up to the Golan Heights to show us what it looked like. And it blew my mind. Like the picture, again, of being able to teach the Bible for going on 18 years now and, and finally stand in the place that, that, that I'm talking about is, is just, it's life-changing. And she took us up and she said, most tour companies don't take anybody up here. And there was no other tour buses. And we were the only one. But she showed us the, the border with Syria, the no man's land, the UN camp that's there. It was fascinating. And we're standing 
Uh, we got off the bus at one point and we're standing looking down at this valley. And she said Syria would occupy up to this point on the Golan Heights where it went down to this gorgeous, deep, fertile valley. And they would set their rockets up and it was all inhabited down along the bottom. And, and, and every night they would just pick a random target to bomb, boom, boom, boom. And she said that the parents and the children, they didn't know what places were going to be hit. So they had bomb shelters and they would move around a lot and that's how they lived it's incredible how they lived the war starts they attack uh israel five nations attack israel on yom kippur a a surprise attack Uh, our tour guide is in london huh She's in Holland. She gets a phone call that one of the only days of the year, a high holy day, that there's nobody prepared. No military, nothing is prepared. They They were caught completely in the dark. So they mustered their forces. They got together. They're being attacked on all fronts. And they overwhelmingly decimated the enemy and they pushed the Syrians back from this this mountain cliff area they pushed them far back behind the area so they no longer inhabit that section now when president trump said that he's pulling our troops out of syria russia said to uh, the syrians hey now that the when the us leaves and their troops are gone you guys go back and take that land back and then Benjamin Netanyahu said, Whatever, wherever we occupy right now will not be surrendered, will not be given up. And when we draw a red, a red line, we stand on it. Most people think he was poking fun at um, Barack Obama because Barack drew a line on a red line on a map saying where he thought the occupation should be. But but Netanyahu said, this is where we're staying. This is where we are. Uh, President Trump was interviewed a few days ago. Today's the 30th. On the 27th, somebody brings up to him the the occupation in Syria, and this is what he had to say. This is not verbatim because it was an audio and I didn't want to type it uh, word for word, but this is what he said on December 28th, a few days ago. He said the U.S. gives Israel $4.5 billion of aid a year, $4.5 billion. And he said, even that's on the books. He said, we give them even much, much more. He said, they're very, uh, they're very, able and capable of defending themselves and taking care of themselves in the past, and they will continue to be, saying that Israel's got to do it, Israel's got to do, and there's no need for our presence anymore. That was the message that most people believe that uh, Trump was communicating. All that to say, because of the troops being taken out of Syria, this flash election happening right now, we have a very interesting 20,000 2019 year coming up. A lot of open doors, possibilities for people. And we see an alliance that has formed, which is what we're going to look at in Scripture tonight. We see an alliance that's been formed, Russia, Iran, Syria, and Turkey, that now are breathing down the proverbial neck of the Israelis. And most Bible scholars, or not most, many Bible scholars believe is a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38. So we're going to look at the Ezekiel chapter 38 scripture tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bibles while we're preparing to go in that direction. 
Um, I can't remember if I said already or not that um, this is another reason why there's probably going to be a delay, a potential delay with President Trump releasing his peace plan because of the troop withdrawal. And there's just a lot of stuff going on over there right now. Is this, do you, have you guys heard any of this? Is this new? Do you understand uh, what, what's happening? Do you understand why it's important for us? This is, some of these things could be the catalyst. And like I started off with, again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but there's some people that come out so emphatically that this is going to be the thing that lights the fuse that blows up the whole world. And um, I can't look at it from that perspective because it's been, it's, it's been being talked about like that for a very, very long time. And I know some people personally um, that have struggled and, and, and questioned their faith because of how emphatically people said it and how it's just, you know, it's, it, it's a piece in a puzzle. You don't look at one piece of the puzzle and, and, and declare the picture. <laughs> you, you've got to put many of the puzzle pieces together. And if the disciples were ignorant, by and large, at the first coming of Jesus Christ, who in the world do we think we are, we can be so confident about his second coming? I don't know. That's my process of thinking. And um, I hope that you understand where I'm coming from when I say that. So are we surprised by the moral climate we find ourselves in? Uh, there's the other issue of morality. Not only do we have the political stage, but we also have the moral stage and the, the things that, that are happening between people. But before we get into that, let's look at this, let's look at this uh, chapter in Ezekiel talking about Gog, Magog, and these nations that are going to come to attack Israel. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, uh, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. All of them will sh with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagrama from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. So here, most people, most Bible teachers teaching this portion of Scripture in light of uh, prophetic upcomings in the world agree that here we're looking at Russia, Iran, Syria, Turkey. Uh, Vladimir Putin just came out a few days ago as well and said that he has invited Ergodon. How, how you say his, is that how you say his name? Ergodon? Um, <laughs> kind of fun to say. Francisco. But um, <laughs> to another summit, but this time it's going to be in Russia. Last time it was in Iran, I believe, in October, this past October. Now they, they're going to have another summit. And a lot of what they talk about is what they're going to do with the nation of Israel, which is interesting. Why does Russia care? Well, Russia just wants to be in charge. By the way, 
another thing that Putin just uh, mentioned recently. Uh, he was touting the fact that they just completed the most supersonic missile in history. They produced, manufactured, and released a missile that goes 20 times faster than the speed of sound. It goes so fast that it's, it's capable of holding nuclear armament, and it goes so fast that it cannot be detected. It's going so quickly. So now they're like, oh, we got this missile, and people are like, the United States doesn't have this missile. Why, uh, why don't we see the U.S. play any part in, in end-time prophecy? And this is why. Okay. I'm not going to get on my soapbox. This is one other thing that I get kind of frustrated about, especially with these guys talking about prophecy. Is because America is going to be destroyed and we're all losers and we used to have God's grace and mercy and we used to be the greatest nation in the world, but now we're not anymore. And obviously it's because, it's because we're going to be wiped off the face of the planet. You know, if we think of ourselves so highly that we're up, upset or frustrated because God didn't include us in the Bible, then we have bigger problems. Did you read the list of names that I just read? Did, did you recognize any of those countries? Like they're speculating who these people are and they're pretty sure it's Russia, but it doesn't say Russia. How many of those countries did you recognize? I think I recognized two, three. The others, it could be, you know, like we know they're coming from the north. We know that when you go to Israel, the only way to get down is to go down the Golan Heights into Israel. I, was, I was, had the opportunity to teach from um, Megiddo, the tell in Megiddo, and you, look the you overlook the valley of Megiddo, and you can see, uh, I thought this valley is just kind of like a... Um, you know, like a little ravine, a wash or something, like a valley. The Valley of Megiddo is gigantic. We went up to the top of Mount Carmel where Elijah confronts the, the prophets of Baal and we're looking over the Megiddo Valley and this thing is huge and there's houses and buildings and fields. Our tour guide was telling us that in the 30s and 40s, the, the, the land had been so uh, neglected because the Jews were pushed out that it became a gross uh, swampland area and you couldn't even grow anything. It was the British under the British mandate that they, the, the, they went in and they drained the swamp and fixed everything up and turned it back into fields again. When the Bible says that those places were uninhabitable, they, they, they confirmed when Israel went back into the land that it was indeed uninhabitable and that the Jews had had for lack of better terms, paid the full price in what they had, uh, what was necessary for them to go through before being brought back into the land again. We always know there was disciplinary measures for them when, when God would take them out of the land. So you have this huge valley of Megiddo. The whole thing is going to be filled at the, the last great battle. And here we have another great, great army of many allies coming together to go against Israel. And let me say this, just because the United States of America is not quoted per se in the Bible does not necessarily mean that it's not here. 
I mean, sorry, I've been all over the world. People, people think that America's wicked. It is. It's bad. But you know what? I've been to super bad places, like super, really corrupt, devastatingly. You know, in, in China, they're still killing Christians right now. They're hunting them down and killing them. And for me, you know, I, I, was, I was on a train one day and, and uh, talking to an older gentleman from Philadelphia. I was over in Europe at the Bible college and he asked me where I was from, and I told him that I was from Las Vegas. I was born here. You know, I love Vegas. And he started, like, went off, like exploded, popped his top, how Las Vegas is the first city that's going to be judged when Jesus Christ comes back, and he's going to shoot laser beams out of his eyes and crush Las Vegas because it's so vile. And I'm like, dude, at least the stuff that we do in Vegas is legal. You guys are doing it in Philadelphia, and it's illegal, Okay. So please, I think Philadelphia is going to be the first to go. How do you like them apples? <laughs> the whole world is corrupt, friends. It doesn't have to mean that, that because we're so great that we have to be referenced. No, listen, God is great. His kingdom is, is great. And whenever a, a kingdom on earth is elevated to a level of, of pride, guess what happens? It gets humbled. And if anything, America would be judged because of our great pride in ourselves that we're the best in the world and God's favorite. We're God's favorite. Nothing could go wrong. What if, just like I said, don't get me started. Big picture, big picture. God loves the whole world. He doesn't care what color your skin is. He doesn't care what language we, you talk. He doesn't care where, you were, where, where you're from, where you're born. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, period. And what we do is we usher in. I'm watching my wife's face because she's a good gauge of when I need to tone it down a little bit. Thank you, dear. But what we need to do is we need to be about praying in God's kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our kingdom, not our will, not our purposes. Your purpose is God. Your passion should be seen, not what, what we think should happen. Um, so why isn't the United States mentioned here? Um, it's, it's, it would be very easy. Let me run this scenario by you, okay? Let's say... What's, the, what's 2018 now? Let's say two years goes by, 2020. Let's say there's another election in the United States of America, presidential election. Let's just hypothetically say that President Trump does not get reelected and that it's not who we would like it to be. Do you know how easy it would be for a, a majority-controlled Senate, a majority-controlled House, and a, a different president to be in that place right now to say, we don't support Israel anymore. You know how easy that would be? The whole world could come against Israel and the United States can still completely be in existence and fine, still in its moral decline. And it could be as simple as saying, we're not going to help you. All we know in the end times is that everybody has abandoned Israel. 
This is the point. This is the main point. Everybody has abandoned Israel. Her enemies know it. And now they are coming against her to crush her because she has no help. And for one last time in the history of the world, God says, my people do not need your help. And he's going to crush the rebellion against him and his people, Israel. That's it. You know what I'm saying? We can make a movie about it. That's the point. God wants you to trust him. God does not want you to put your trust in your allies and those people who make you feel safe and comfortable because you need them. You do not need them. God loves you. He is completely able to represent himself on your behalf to people who are coming against you. And that's exactly the stage that is set for the end times when the nation of Israel is come against by the enemies and has been forsaken by everybody else in the world. And God says, I will not forsake you. So verse seven, prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those uh, brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. People are concerned when we say that we take trips to Israel, we're going to, to Israel. Is it safe? I felt safer in Israel than I felt at most places, most, mostly because there's these really cool army dudes everywhere with AK-47s. Like it's everywhere. I got a picture. I'll throw it up on the projector for you. These two Israeli soldiers took their picture with me because they said, hey, you, can we take our picture with you? You look really cool. And I was like, sure. No, it was the opposite. I was like, hey, you guys look really cool. Can I take my picture with you? And they're like, sure, rolled their eyes. And we snapped a couple pictures. It was great. But it's safe. When we were up on Mount Carmel looking down at the, at the Megiddo Valley, and it's vastness, how big it is. How many of you guys have been to, uh, like, up in one of the casinos, like, high up, or did done the, the rolly thing? What's the rolly thing? Yeah, the high roller. I was close. And, and you get, I did a, a refurb construction job back when I was, like, 18, right out of high school. I think it was the, oh, I think it was... Uh, Texas Station or Boulder Station, I can't remember. Anyway, but we were at the top floor. And you look at uh, Vegas, and it's so big. It goes, it's just like, boom, you know, right down to the mountains and then down to the south and, and over to the desert mountains. And it's so big. It was like that except bigger. It's this huge valley with roads and houses and, and crops. And I was like, man, that's so cool. And then I tried to, as much as I could, picture the entire valley that we're looking at filled with tanks and rocket launchers and all this crazy stuff that, that the Bible tells us is going to happen. What, is, what does God say? God says, I'm going to put my hook in your mouth. You guys like fishing? I like fishing. When, when you catch a fish, that initial tug, right? And you, what do you, what's the first thing you do? You set the hook. And then once you set that puppy you know that fish is going wherever you want it to go for the most part. Sorry, I like fishing. And 
God's saying, I'm going to put my hook in your mouth and you are not going to uh, even have the choice of not coming. I'm going to draw you to the place that I want you and they're going to come in full force, fully decked out, ready for war, coming uh, down through the Golan Heights into this area of Megiddo, getting ready to descend further down south to the area of Jerusalem. It's pretty, still pretty far north where, where we're at right there and to crush the nation of Israel. God says, I'm going to bring you. You guys are going to get, get prepared. You're going to go uh, to a place that, that once was uninhabitable, but now the people are there dwelling safely. He says that you are so many that you will, you will ascend like a, like a storm, like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. That's pretty cool. Driving all over Israel. How many of you guys have been to Israel before? Anybody else? How do you like driving? And there's just like these little pockets of villages everywhere. Uh, there's, there's just a village like perched on the top of this mountain. And then you, you hear Jesus' words like a city on a hill. And wherever you are, you see this little city on a hill. It sticks out. It, it stands out. And um, there's no walls. There's no bars. You just drive in, drive out. And they're purposing in their heart. It's gonna be, what, what are they saying? It's going to be easy to destroy these people. These people who are dwelling in safety, we're just going to come and we're going to crush them. And God's saying, you, that's what your, your evil intention is going to be. That's what your thoughts are going to be. But I've got a different plan for you. Against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the Lamb, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Now, I feel like I have to bring this up just to show you, just to give you an example, okay? So this is one verse that some of these end times uh, prophecy decoders believe that could be a reference to the United States of America. I'll read it again for you. Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? So they're questioning. They're not involved in the assault so much as they're questioning those who have come to assault Israel. And, and they say that, that there, there's a crest um, on a British seal that is a lion, and we know that the United States and England or, or the UK are allies. So if the British are there asking questions, then we're probably there asking questions too. I think it might be a bit of a stretch, but we don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You have gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, you will, not know, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north. 
you and your many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. And that verse gives me shivers and I have it underlined in my Bible. He says, I'm going to draw you to my land to come against my people for this purpose so that the nations will know who I am. Because nobody else will stand with my people. And they are there alone in unwalled cities and unprotected. But when you come with evil intentions to my land against my people, my power is going to be demonstrated against you so greatly that it's going to shock and awe the entire planet. The whole world is going to know me. When I am hallowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Isaiah, uh, of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And it shall come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. This is a theme that we see through the entire Old Testament. A great army is come against Israel, a vast army. There's no hope for the children of Israel. There's no hope for the, the Jewish people. There's no allies coming. There's no uh, relief in sight. And then all of a sudden, God says, go up to the top of the mountain, break some jars, blow some horns, hit sticks on rocks or whatever. And everybody in the camp is confused and they all kill each other. So here you have this scene, this end time scene of, of basically uh, the countries of the north coming down against Israel. You see them all together. And at that time, God says that there's a, a massive earthquake that, that is going to happen. Uh, you may not know this, but, but the, the Jordan Valley is technically called the Jordan Rift Valley. And it's called the Jordan Rift Valley because it sits on a rift a fault line, right? So major possibility of earthquakes, of not just earthquakes, but major earthquakes. So this big earthquake happens. At the same time, coincidentally, so crazy, all of the nations, all these nations have gathered together and are assembled together. This great earthquake happens and everybody's so confused and things are falling down and crazy stuff is happening that they start killing each other, brother against brother, just like we saw many times pass through the Old Testament. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. That's the thing with these alliances. They're making alliances, but they're still not, that, they're really still not that close. Everybody's watching each other's backs, you know? And then as soon as a little shaking happens, they're pointing guns and shooting and, you know, they, they completely destroy themselves, which is interesting because the judgment of God on them was that they destroyed themselves, right? 
gathered against God and his people in the land. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself. So yes, we do have them killing each other, but we also see a, a, a literal judgment of God upon them with the raining down of hailstone and brimstone. And then he says here, thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. You know, God's heart is intention for mankind since forever was to be was to reveal himself to man to mankind you have one of two choices you can come to know god the peaceful way <laughs> through the blood of his son jesus christ be reconciled to him and get to know him and it's amazing the best thing i've ever done in my life period or you can have him revealed to you in this kind of context, which is not ever going to be a best case scenario. It's just not going to be fun. But he is going to be shown. He is going to be revealed. And it's what side of the fence are you on? And it's all about him revealing himself. Chapter 39 goes into the armies of Gog destroyed. But we're going to flip over to... Uh, Isaiah chapter 17, really quickly, um, to, the, to your back, to your left. If you want to flip, you don't have to. But this is another interesting thing that, that, that fits in with current events. Um, Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of error are forsaken, for they, uh, they will be for flocks which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The fortress will also cease from Ephraim. The kingdoms from Damascus and the remnant of Syria, they will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a prophecy against Damascus. Does anybody, did anybody catch where Damascus is? Damascus is in Syria. There are people right now, uh, teachers, that are saying that it's very likely that our first major conflict that we see on the horizon coming up is since President Trump pulled the troops out of Syria, that something bad happens in Damascus. And that could be the starting point um, of this whole, right, this, this whole uh, scenario but there's so many other things that have to come into place guys it's, so it's 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 silly for me to to act like we can be positive the, the third temple still has to be built you know right now they're talking about the the third temple um most they're pretty confident i don't know it, it, i don't I, I don't sometimes it's it's hard to tell but they're pretty confident that the the temple the first two temples were not built on the Temple Mount at all. Have you guys heard this? This is kind of fresh. So there's people, archaeologists and scholars, who are saying that the first temple was actually in the city of David. The city of David is down from the temple a little ways, and they have scripture that they connect to it. They say, you know, when, when they sent the, uh, the troops down from Herodian Fortress that they had to go down to the Temple Mount. Well, that doesn't work unless you're in the city of David. You go down this little, this little thing and you go down to the city of David. They, they, they think that they have found one of the original 
areas where they kept the animals and sacrificed them. The, the, the Bible talks about how the sacrifices and the purification by water was very important. You had to be by a water source. The, the Gihon Springs, I think it is, runs directly through this temple where they had places to tie animals up and they had carved a hole out or, or, or a trough into the solid rock. They carved it out so that there would be a perpetual running of water so when the sacrifices were happening, it could be continuously being cleaned, cleansed because there's no water up on the top of, uh, on the, top of the temple mount. They're saying that a Roman legion is how many, how many men is in a Roman legion? 4,000? I'm pretty sure. I can't remember. I think it's 4,000. But the, uh, the, uh, the area, uh, um, oh, I forget what, what it's called, though. The place where the troops stayed on the Temple Mount, Antonia Fortress. The Antonia Fortress, they had models and they rebuilt it. And they said max it could probably house like th- three to four, maybe 500 soldiers. Um, but to be able to house a legion, like they said was supposed to be in Jerusalem, it would take the entire top of the Temple Mount for them to camp out up there, which makes sense with the way that they came and conquered other cities as well. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of spitballing at you right now. There's a lot that's going to go into this, but we know that the third temple is going to have to be built. We know that it's going to play a role. when it's. We're getting closer to that than we ever have been before. We spent a lot of time talking about the third temple and the Temple Mount last year when we did the prophecy update because of all the advances that they'd made. They had a red heifer back then, but now they have multiple red heifers and they've been breeding these red heifers, which is is the key to restart the sacrificial system. Many Jews say that they don't even need to start the the sacrificial system again. Not the Orthodox Jews, of course, but the many common regular Jews because their good works go up as sacrifices to God. There's so much at play, but there is the Temple Institute said that the only reason, period, right now, the only reason that they have not started the rebuilding of the third temple, which they would plan on doing on the Temple Mount, is because of the political climate, period. Everything else is ready. And as soon as somebody gives them the green light, they've got financial backing. They've got the the Levitical priesthood. They've got everybody already set. They've got a high... A uh, priest already ready to be appoint, appointed. He can't technically be appointed until they, they go through a certain ceremony where, where, where they can um, do this ceremony with things that they don't have right now as far as the temple itself. And as soon as uh, they have a green light, politically speaking, they could start constructing the third temple within a week at that point and they would, they would start to do it. So that that's kind of puts things into perspective as well. We've got many different layers, many different things happening. Uh, but what we are looking at right now is we're looking at the world scene. Israel has definitely come back, re-inhabited the land. The, excuse me, the promises of God are still being applied to the nation, nation of Israel. God is going to take care of business when people end up coming against Israel to prove what? That they're super cool people? That the Jews are the just... They're Jews. They're just, they're Jews. They're like everybody else. Um, to prove that he is good. That's the point. God is going to prove who he is. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to use these people to do it. He's going to do it through them. Which brings us to our next part in the study, which that first part went a little longer than I was anticipating. But So we got another 
couple hours, but I'll try to move it on real quickly. <laughs> Who said all man? <laughs> Are we surprised by the moral climate that we find ourselves in? Man, people get so shocked. I'm never surprised. They're like, can you believe this? People are marrying animals. I'm like, I, I'm not surprised. People are doing anything. People don't even identify as, and I'm like, yeah, that, that's, that's the world. That's the way it's always been. There's nothing new under the sun. Remember Solomon? There's nothing new under the sun. That's how it always been. You leave man, give him over to his own devices. It's only a matter of time before he's doing the most wretched, ridiculously sinful, corrupt things imaginable. They can't think of things to do more corrupt and disgusting than they're, they're, they're already partaking in and doing. But this is what Jesus says on the, on the matter. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I heard this quote, it's one thing when you see lawlessness, but there's an expectation that that lawlessness will be met with justice, right? It's another thing when you see those who are supposed to be representing justice practicing lawlessness. That puts people in a tailspin. Look at the fires in California and the things that are happening all over the world, uh, happening all over the United States. There's earthquakes, there's you know, flooding, there's fires, and then you have people going in droves and looting stores for no reason. No reason. Just because uh, in the name of lawlessness. And he says, because of lawlessness, the love of many will wax cold. I like the King James translation. Will wax cold. You know how I feel when I see those people on TV looting those stores for no reason at all? I feel like, man, I don't love those people. I hate them because that's wrong and rude. But I cannot allow myself to be affected by the lawlessness that's at play in other people's lives because I'm still called to love. I'm still called to meet people where they're at, period. But you can see how that influences people and how when the world operates in lawlessness, Jesus says that, that love is going to wane and care, which is the opposite of what he did in coming. Matthew 24, 37 through 38 says, but as the, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, until the day. And then they realized, oh man, that weird old guy that we've been making fun of for a hundred years is floating and we're sinking. Not going to be a good day. Luke 17, 28 through 30. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, 
the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this verse, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from creation. Have you heard people say that before? I have. I'm in a different context maybe, but I hear people scoffing and mocking. Oh, Jesus is coming back. That's never going to happen. I'm like, be patient. Be patient, because 2 Peter 3, 8 says, Beloved, do not forget this thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It used to be one of my favorite verses as a young believer. I thought that was so cool, you know? Like, uh, I, I use this pretty regularly. I'll probably try to think of something else so you guys don't get bored with me. But the day that, that uh, Osama bin Laden uh, was killed by that Navy SEAL team, I had Christian friends that were celebrating and rejoicing. And I was so, I was so frustrated and upset. I was just like, you know what, guys? You don't get it. Like, God does not delight in the death of the ungodly. Yes, he was a wicked man. Yes, you want to point fingers at Hitler and all these people that did all that stuff. They're going to get their due. They're going to get it, period. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But these people are going to spend eternity in hell, and there's no way that I can say I'm happy about that. No way. Do you know what this is going to look like looking from eternity? This is going to look like a joke. It's going to look like a joke and we're going to see the big picture. It's going to be clear. And we're going to mourn for those people that we laughed at because they died in their sin. It should break our hearts. We see in our world this desensitizing towards sin. Not only in an empathy, but an acceptance, a toleration. We see people not only choosing to live in a matter that's wrong, but celebrating their freedom to live life apart from the confines and crutch of religion. We're going towards a, a postmodern, post-Christian worldview. And if we buy into it, and we become these fear-mongering people that don't have any good news to share... And we're, I think we become part of the problem. We have to boldly step up and love people and give perspective. We have to warn them like Paul did today, right? Acts chapter 27, he warned them. He said, listen, I perceive that this journey is not only going to be very bad for your financial benefit, but there's also going to be loss of life. Oh, who cares? The majority is against Paul. Let's go anyway. I think that we have to warn, we have to bring awareness, but we need to be careful that uh, that we're still distinguished or distinctly different from the way that the world looks like. That's all. So I hope that you guys aren't scared, first of all, because the rapture is going to happen. And you're going to be taken out of the world and not have to deal with the judgment of God because it's not pointed unto you to be judged by God. It is the unbelieving, rebellious world that is going to be judged. So that number one, that should bring peace and comfort. Number two, you're on a journey that God's going to bring you through 
just like he, the examples that he gave, just like Noah, just like Lot. They were preserved through the judgment. They were taken out of it. God wasn't focusing that on them. And then for us, we continue to look at the world's um, state and condition. And if we don't look at it through a gospel lens, then we're going to be frustrated. It's going to be hard. But we have hope to give people. We have encouragement. We have perception that they don't have, which should be communicated through the gospel and us loving them, even though it's very difficult right now. The world's in a really crazy place. So ask questions. Um, If you have any questions, talk to me about it. Let's keep the right perspective and be confident in God's love towards us. And take that love and, and go deliver it. Be delivery people. You know what he calls us? He's ambassadors to win people. We're not to preserve ourselves. We're ambassadors to go out into the world and win people, love people. And that is what we have. I'm going to finish up with that tonight. But um, in regards to the prophecies and, and those other things, current events, does anybody have any questions? I, I don't mind taking a couple questions before we close. Anybody have any thoughts? Gog is the, the people or the specific king that he's referring to. It's a king. So Gog is supposed to be the king and Magog is the kingdom. Yeah. And you know, I, I would have to brush up more on the specific prophecies of Ezekiel 38 uh, and, and others um, and get, the, get the, the final purpose and reason that they settle on certain people. But, but Gog is connected to an old word that is connected to an old Russian king, something. I can't remember exactly what, what it is, so I don't, yeah, don't want to mis, misquote or mislead. So, anybody else? We are all going to die, but the good news is, in Jesus Christ, we're going to be resurrected. Or you're raptured, which means to be caught up, which we will be caught up in the air with the Lord, and then we'll come back to the earth to rule and reign with him. So those are your two options. You can either be raptured or die and be resurrected because Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. And just like his body was resurrected to a heavenly body, our bodies through faith in Jesus Christ are going to be resurrected to heavenly bodies. We look at that in 1 Corinthians, I think, um, a little bit. Yeah. Go ahead. We get a new body. Yeah, we, we, would, we, we would leave. We'd be caught up into the air, but then be transformed into our heavenly body. We would disappear. Or think of it in terms of the same, the same way that, again, like Noah was taken on the ark. It had, not, it had not ever rained up until that point. They didn't even know what rain was. So something supernatural happened, and they, he was preserved. And we don't know exactly how the rapture is going to happen, but we knew that we're going to be caught up or taken away from the judgment of God before it happens as believers in Jesus. And that's good news, right? Yes. That's good news. Anybody else? One more? Okay. 
Yeah. Well, like I said, we don't know exactly how, you know, how it's going to happen, but, but um, raptura means, the word means to be caught up, and the idea is, uh, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, in a blink of an eye, that we will we'll be caught up, we'll go and be reunited with the Lord. I guess we should have talked more about the rapture tonight, huh? Next time. All right, let's pray. Maybe next time for sure. Father God, we thank you for, um, for your perspective and for allowing us to, to have a glimpse into your perspective. You don't want us to be ignorant or uninformed. That's why you give us these verses. That's why you've, you've given us these prophecies that are going to come to fulfillment. And we want to be a people who are confident before you. We want to be a people who are confident in you, confident in who you are, who you say you are, and that you've been revealing yourself to us. And we don't want to be part of that revelation that we looked at in Ezekiel, where you have to reveal yourself in, in power, but that you so graciously are revealing yourself in power to us today, right now. We're thankful for that, God. Oh, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love that you have for us. Oh, that we could know it, the fullness of your grace. Teach us, lead us, Lord. Bless next year. Give us the right perspective and allow us to be those who are dealers of hope going out into the world to give the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.